You're now listening to the Tax Smart REI Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of the TaxSmart REI Podcast. In this episode, we discuss important year-end tax tips and considerations that you'll want to be aware of as we move through Q4 of this year, including short-term rental considerations, timing of cost segregation studies, tax loss harvesting, S-corporations, and a lot more. We also want to let you know that we'll be running a special year-end edition of our popular Tax Smart Investors Bootcamp in November, where we'll be going in-depth on strategies such as the real estate professional status, the short-term rental loophole, how to optimize your tax position, special year-end tax strategies and considerations that are not covered in this episode, and a lot more. This bootcamp is designed to arm you with everything you need to know to maximize the tax benefits of real estate investing before the end of 2022 and give you a head start as we head into 2023. If you enrolled in the short-term rental tax course, it's kind of like that, but on steroids. And if you're interested, stay till the end of this episode because I have a special offer that you will only find on this podcast we're going to get into all of that and dive right into today's episode after a quick word from Landlord Studio. Having a good rental management software is essential for landlords who want to stay on top of their finances, save time, and reduce stress during tax time. Without one, you're reliant on outdated and error-prone processes like spreadsheets, paper receipts, and manual reconciliation. Who wants to do that? This can lead to compliance issues, overpaid taxes, expensive vacancy periods, or worse. Enter your income and expense tracking with Landlord Studio today. Import transactions to quickly reconcile expenses, automate rent collection and income tracking, digitize receipts on the go, and instantly generate financial reports, including Schedule E, to make tax filing a breeze. Landlord Studio is much more than just a rental accounting solution, though. Take advantage of their range of property management tools, from finding and screening tenants, to managing leases, and even tracking and managing property maintenance tasks. You can learn more about Landlord Studio and start your 14-day free trial at landlordstudio.com. Use the coupon code Real Estate CPA at checkout for 25% off your plan. Again, that's landlordstudio.com slash CPA and use coupon code Real Estate CPA to get 25% off your plan and a 14-day free trial today. And we're back. So in this episode, we're going to be going through some year-end planning tips. If you do want to check out our prior year's episodes on this topic, you can check out episode 67 and episode 162. Uh, we did do year-end planning episodes the last two years, and there might still be some good gold nuggets in there for you. So go ahead and check those out. But for now, we're going to jump right into this year's topics. And the first one we're going to talk about today is considerations for short-term rental investors as we approach year-end. So the first thing uh, you need to realize that if you're going to be buying a short-term rental in Q4, or you already bought one, and you haven't placed into service yet, there's a few key things you're going to want to understand. First one is the seven days or less rule, right? So traditionally, when we place a long-term property, in a long-term rental property into service, the place and service date's typically going to be considered the date that it's ready and available for rent. And that means that you usually have a certificate of occupancy for your rental property if your locality requires one, and then you have it listed for rent, maybe on Craigslist, for rent sign in front of your house, on apartments.com, so on and so forth. However, when we're dealing with short-term rental properties, that doesn't really work that way because one of the keys for the short-term rental loophole is that you have an average stay of seven days or less. And in order to substantiate that you actually have a rental 
for seven days or less, you need to uh, actually rent it out. Many people believe you could just rent it out for one stay of seven days or less and you'll be fine. You may very well be. However, we would suggest not doing that. We just suggest getting as many stays of seven days or less as possible in before the end of the year, at least two or three. And the reason for that is you need to be able to prove that you participated in this business on a regular, continuous and substantial basis. So you don't run into issues or potential issues uh, with the IRS if you do ever come under audit. Yeah, I'll just echo that. I mean, you know, we wrapped up 2021 tax season in October and it's way too risky to claim something as a short-term rental and not have any stays. And it's way too risky to claim something as a short-term rental with only one stay. You got to actually do this. You know, you can't just buy at the end of the year, place in this service on 1230 and rent it one time and call it a short-term rental. You're just asking for trouble. You're asking to get audited and you're asking to lose that audit. So we, we recommend that you rent it at least twice, but you know, you really, really go for it. You try to rent it as many times as you can if you're really going to be able to substantiate this thing as a short-term rental. And maybe even renting it twice doesn't substantiate it as a short-term rental. You know, there it's facts and circumstances. Just because one person can make that successful doesn't mean that everybody can. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Another thing that I want to mention on the short-term rental thing is and just real estate professional status in general. Do not inflate your time log. I can't tell you how many of these time logs I've seen over the past few years from clients and non-clients that just have BS time log entries. You can't inflate your time log. Uh, the IRS knows. They've audited thousands of these returns. They've got the data to understand if you run an Airbnb or VRBO, how long does it take to communicate with your tenants? right? Each turn. They know it doesn't take eight hours <laughs> to, to <laughs> communicate with your tenants for, for one night. So don't lie. Don't lie. If they audit you and they pull that stuff out, you're going to lose. You've got no leg to stand on. And and we're not taking those positions for our clients. And we recommend that any CPAs listening to this don't take those positions for your clients either because you're just setting everybody up for failure. So make sure that those time logs make sense. Whenever somebody throws eight hours of time on their time log for one day of work, that's a significant day. And sending a couple emails to my broker is not going to take eight hours of time. And if you can't hit the material participation test, then don't claim the short-term rental loophole. Because again, you are just setting yourself up to fail. Yeah, And you just it's going to be very, very painful at some later point for you. Absolutely. And, you know, something else in the short term rental loophole that people often ask about is, can I rent it out to a family member? Um, as we kind of get towards year end, people try to figure out ways to uh, get someone in, get guests in there to substantiate that seven days or less rule or that seven days or less exception, excuse me. And the short answer is you don't want to rent it to family. OK, uh, there's a statute in Section 280A basically that says that if you rent it to a family member and it's not their principal residence, so in other words, you're not renting it as a long-term rental for it to be your family member's residence that they're going to live in, then that counts as a personal use day for you. And it's not a fair rental day. Um, and that brings me to another point. When you are renting this out, if you are going to try to rent it to a friend or something like that, first of all, try to rent to a legitimate third party on Airbnb or VRBO. That's your first mode of operations. But if you are going to try to rent as a friend, which we don't recommend, but if you are, 
make sure you charge them fair market rent, okay? Don't just say, oh, I'm going to rent out my Airbnb, this luxury Airbnb rental on the beach in Florida. It's beautiful for $200 a night when it's normally going to go for $2,400. I'm just making that up, that $2,400. I'm just saying, we don't want to do that because that's also going to be considered a personal use day. So if you're going to be using this, you're going to be placing a property into service and renting it for seven days or less as we approach the year end. Again, at least two stays, if not more, as many as you can, and don't rent it to a family member. And if you're going to rent it to a friend, which again, don't recommend doing, but if you are, make sure it's fair market rent. And that's just some things to keep in mind as we kind of head into the year end. And make sure that like they actually go. Right. Right. <laughs> We've seen some instances this year where people were trading rental days at the end of the year. And I'm not sure if they, we didn't claim it for them because it was weird, but it's like, I'm not sure that they're even staying at the property. When you do some more inquiry, you kind of start realizing, wait, are they even staying at the property? Like, I think people listen to us and, you know, take what we believe is technically correct and just extrapolate it and try to make it work for them. And I think that the word that I want to put out there is, stop trying to make this stuff work for you. Like if you have to struggle to make it work, then that means it's not going to work. It's not going to work for your current filings. It's not going to work when you're audited and when you lose. Do it legitimately. Like if you're going to run a short-term rental business, great. If you're buying at the end of the year and you're going to rent it one night and then next year you're going to rehab it and make it a long-term rental, don't use the short-term rental strategy. Like it doesn't make any sense. And you're just setting yourself up to fail. I wish that everybody, every single landlord with short-term rentals would listen to the last five minutes of this podcast because like, it's such a great opportunity for people that are legitimately running short-term rentals, legitimately have multiple stays, legitimately running on Airbnb and VRBO. If you can materially participate and you actually have the time log and the time log's not inflated, it's not exaggerated, then this short-term rental exception under Section 469 under the Treasury regulations is amazing because you don't have to qualify as a real estate professional in order to use the tax losses from your short-term rental. But what we're seeing in the market is a lot of tax pros are letting people, investors, buy short-term rentals, put it into service for one night on December 30th and take a $300,000 tax loss. And they're using these inflated time logs where, oh yeah, it took me eight hours to communicate with my one tenant that stayed one night that paid me $350 for the one night. Eight hours to get gross revenue of $350. Eight hours of communication. (laughs) Nobody buys that. I have a beach home. (laughs) I don't buy it. I self-manage my beach home. It does not take that much time. I'm just getting worried that a lot of people are going to get audited and they're going to lose. Because they take what the technically correct version of this is and they extrapolate it to make it work for them, but but they bend all these rules and it just it's gonna blow up in their face. So it's gotta be a short-term rental at the end of the year. It's gotta be a short-term rental in January. You gotta be actually running it as a short-term rental. You gotta keep an accurate time log. You cannot inflate hours. It's got to be realistic and you got to rent it multiple times. I don't want to see zero rentals. I don't want to see one rental. I really don't even want to see two rentals anymore. I think I think you just got to tell people you got to rent it for the entire freaking month of December to get them to understand, hey, like this is not something to play around with. 
You know, it's uh, that I, I'm just getting worried, man. I'm getting worried. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the last thing I'll say on short-term rentals is, look, you know, at the end of the day, the entire Airbnb universe, short-term rentals can be a wildly profitable business if you invest right. And again, you know, you get the tax benefits is icing on the cake, and it can be quite powerful, like Brandon said before, if you're legitimately using the strategy for the right way, if you're legitimately investing in short-term rentals. So uh, just keep that in mind. Don't let the tax tail wave the dog. Uh, if you're going into a short-term rental, if you're going to buy one, you're going to acquire one. Do it for the business first. Do it for the investment principles and the investment you know, uh, attributes of that property. You'll be able to cash flow better than uh, a long-term rental in many cases and go into it for that. I mean, look, we, we've done probably at least five or six episodes with short-term rental experts who've built uh, wildly successful short-term rental businesses here on this podcast over the last few months. So go back, listen to those, and uh, learn how to build your business and then take the short-term rental exception as icing on the cake, all right? And I, I did just want to say, too, there's a lot of people that do it right, by the way. So so thank you. For everybody that does it right, everybody that takes it very seriously, thank you. It's very nice to interact with the people that take this very seriously, the investors that take this very seriously. But there are handfuls of folks out there that just, they just want the tax code to work for them, and that's just not the way it works. It's not the way it works. Yeah, so... As you know, short-term rentals, very serious. Don't take it lightly. But uh, in other topics, we do have a few other year-end items we do want to touch on today. Cost segregation studies, right? People always ask about cost segregation studies and timing of those cost segregation studies. Specifically, if you do buy a property, and let's just say it is a short-term rental for the sake of argument, you rent it out several times between now and the end of the year, do you need to actually do the cost segregation study in 2022? And the answer to that question is no, you do not need to do the cost segregation study before the end of this year um, to use uh, the cost segregation study on your 2022 tax return. You can do it after the year ends and have it as long as it's going to be completed and reported along with your 2022 tax return, uh, you will be in good shape. So you don't need yep. to do it before the year ends. Yep. Yep. Great point. Yep. Doesn't need to be done by the end of the year. The cost seg firms all will tell you, some of them. We'll tell you it needs to be done by the end of the year, and they're just trying to meet sales quotas. So <laughs> it does not need to be done by the end of the year. It just needs to be done before you file your 2022 tax return. Right, right, absolutely. So that's a quick little tidbit on cost segs because people always ask that question. Another topic I think is interesting to bring up in this environment we're in this year is tax loss harvesting. So briefly, for anybody who does not know what tax loss harvesting is, it's selling assets that you have in a lost position. So for example, a stock that you bought that is currently trading for less than what you bought it for. So in other words, your cost basis is higher than its current sales price and you're in a lost position. When you sell that stock, you're going to generate a capital loss. Now, capital losses can offset your ordinary income up to $3,000, but more importantly, and most importantly, can offset other capital gains from other capital assets, such as stocks and other securities, as well as real estate. So if you have securities, for example, that are in lost positions, you may want to consider selling those if you believe they will not recover. So just something to think about this year. Uh, there's a lot of stocks that are, are in lost positions, and uh, you might want to take advantage of that strategy. And you said another one was S-Corp. Is that what we're going to talk about? Um, was that next thing? Uh, was just getting your documentation in order before year ends, like what to do before to prepare for tax. Okay, well, let's talk about S corps anyway, okay. because I've seen a lot of S corps, and I just want to I want to talk about how this works. So, 
if you're running a trader business and it's like a Schedule C trader business or it's a single member LLC or maybe it's even a partnership kind of partnership, you got to be a little bit careful going S Corp for a variety of reasons. But when you're running a trader business, whether you're a real estate agent, a broker, a flipper, a developer, builder, the income that you're generating is self-employment income. And what that means is it's subject to a 15.3% tax. And then it's also subject to your marginal tax rate. And it's also subject to your state tax rate. So the question becomes, how do I avoid or reduce my exposure to the self-employment tax, that 15.3% tax? Because if I don't, and I earn $100,000 net income, I'm going to pay $15,300 on that net income. Then I'm going to pay you know, another 22% on that net income. So another $22,000. Then I'm going to pay my state tax rate of $5,000. So I'm paying taxes of like, you know, 40K or so on 100K. My effective tax rate becomes 40 cents. Insane. So one strategy to reduce exposure to self-employment tax is to set up an escoration, run your business through that option. The reason for this is... From the S corporation, you can pay yourself wages. You cannot do this with an LLC or a Schedule C. It only works with an S corporation. So you can pay yourself wages and the remainder profit that you don't distribute as wages, you just cut cut a check at the end of the year. It's just a cash distribution or a cash dividend and it's not subject to that 15.3% self-employment tax. So for example, we've got net income of $100,000. $15,300 is my self-employment tax if I don't run it through an S corporation. But if I do run it through an S corporation, if I pay myself 50K W-2 wages, then only the 50K of W-2 wages is subject to the 15.3% self-employment tax. The remaining 50K of profit is just a distribution to me or a dividend to me. And it's not subject to 15.3% self-employment tax. So I save $7,600 by running it through S corporation and paying myself a W-2 wage. There's a caveat. The caveat is you have to pay yourself a reasonable salary. So that means that I have to have really rock solid support as to why I paid myself $50,000 of W-2 wages and not like $95,000 of W-2 wages, okay? Obviously, with an S corporation, the lower the wages you can pay yourself, the better, because only the wages are subject to that 15.3% tax. The remaining dividend is not. But what's happening is people are paying them zero wages or $10,000 in wages. So they're getting just an incredible amount of savings. The IRS knows this, and it's become an audit item for them starting in 2022, I believe. And it's going to be an audit item for the years. This be very careful if you're running an S corporation. Make sure that those wages are reasonable. If you don't know how to ensure your wages are reasonable, make sure you work advisor that can help that substantiate why paying yourself what you're paying. Uh, just understand that the IS is looking very closely at S corporations. Absolutely. As corporations, you're going to be doing that. You're going to want to make sure you have that reasonable salary. And like Brent said, go ahead and work with an advisor if you're not sure how to come up with that because you don't want to run afoul of these rules. Yeah. All right. So that's just something to keep in mind with S corporations. As we kind of wrap up our final uh, topic of this podcast for this year is going to be what to do to prepare as we head into tax season. We're in Q4 right now. There's plenty of time before the year ends. And uh, you want to make sure you're prepared so that when you hand your CPA, your, your tax preparer, 
documents so they can file your tax returns for you, that you have your ducks in a row to make it as efficient as possible for all parties involved, specifically even yourself. You want to make sure that you don't have delays and all these things occurring, right? So what are a few things that you can do? Um, Well, the first thing you could do is make sure that you have proper books and records completed by the time January or February comes around so you can easily hand those off to your CPA or your tax preparer, right? What a lot of people do is they just hand off property management statements or they hand off an Excel spreadsheet or worse, just, just a shoot, you know, literally just like documents of documents and stuff, not even organized in any way, shape or form. And that's a recipe for delays in your tax return easily, easily. Yeah, it's, it's hard too, because every CPA has a different method of requesting documentation. I mean, heck, even our firm, we change it up on an ongoing basis because we're always trying to figure out a better way to do it. And then you've got portals. Oh, my gosh. I'm so tired of all the portals out there. I was talking to Blake, our VP of operations, about this the other day. It's like, you know what would be a killer software to develop is a like is one portal. That might even be the name, just oneportal.com, where you just have one portal for all of your CPAs, your attorneys, your mortgage brokers, your financial advisors, like like the consumers go to one portal and all the providers have to plug into that. I know somebody listening to this is like, dude, that's a brilliant idea. Okay. If you think it's a brilliant idea, at least let me invest in it. If you're going to go and develop it. Okay. (laughs) That's my ask. So if you listen to this, you're like, wow, it's a brilliant idea. I'm going to go build it. Give me a chance to invest in it. So anyway, thank you. But (laughs) <laughs> I'm so sick of all these freaking portals out there, man. I've I've got like five different mortgage lenders. I got to log into five different portals. And I know that that working with CPAs is the exact same thing because they all have different portals too. And it's just a real pain in the butt. But you got to have your documentation in line. Um, it's better to upload it all at once rather than piecemeal because it gets lost in translation if you are just kind of trickling it in. So what I would suggest is you create like a Google Drive or Dropbox or whatever whatever your cloud solution is. And um, you create a folder, you know, tax documents, then you create a subfolder, 2021, 2022, 2023, so on and so forth. And in those subfolders, you can put like, uh, like you can have an earned income folder, you can have a portfolio income folder, you can have a rental income folder, and then you can have a folder for other. And what goes in your earned income? Well, it's your Schedule C stuff. So if I run a business, that's what goes there. Could be a K-1. You know, like our firm, we have a partnership now. So we all get K-1s. So that K-1 would go into my earned income folder. Uh, My W-2 is going to go into my earned income folder. My portfolio income folder is going to include 1099Bs, any interest, any capital gains, dividends, anything like that's going to go into my portfolio income folder. And then my rental income folder is going to include obviously all of my rental activities and also any syndications that I'm investing in, funds that I'm investing in that are investing in rental activities. So the idea is just like get nice and organized. Once you have everything, send it all over to your CPA, like as a zip folder or something, or upload the zip folder to your CPA's portal. And if they have different, you know, uploading methodologies, follow that, but just get organized it's going to really help you streamline the process of getting your tax returns done. That's that's one of our biggest problems is we, like somebody will send us 98% of their documentation and we're just waiting on this 1K1 that's out there. But like what we've learned to do is not start a tax return until all the documentation's there because it just becomes a real pain from a processing standpoint 
to start it and then come back to it later because you got to like re-review the tax return once that final K one's in. It just it, it it ends up doubling the amount of time that people take on it, and it ends up doubling the amount of time that the client ends up having to wait for it too uh, in a roundabout way. So I would just recommend packaging everything up one time, getting it over one time. And then obviously if there's like missing documentation as we're finding it out, sending that over as fast as you can. But yeah, get organized. I mean, I, I'm saying this, I gotta, I gotta follow my own advice, man. I gotta, I got all these, all these rentals that I'm trying to like, like this year was a real pain in the butt for me to file my own tax return. So I'm trying to like, like that system that I just laid out is literally the system that I'm implementing right now. <laughs> yeah, no, no, hundred percent. I mean, you know, this is the first year. Uh, so I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret here on this podcast. It's the first year of my entire life. I've never filed my own tax return. I actually hired a CPA to do it. I know it's sacrilegious, but uh, I did it. Anyway. <laughs> um, look, uh, I put everything in a bucket, like kind of like what Brent said, I uploaded it at one time and they were able to file my tax return relatively efficiently. I was actually impressed uh, when it was all said and done on how uh, easily it went from the time I uploaded my documents to the time I actually got my return. And if I would have done that piecemeal, like Brennan had said, I guarantee you things would have been lost in translation translation, or it would have took a long time, all this different stuff. So it works. Get yourself organized. And if you can't get yourself organized, hire an assistant, virtual assistant, somebody to get organized for you, okay? It will be worth your time. It will be worth your money to have that mental space back. I promise you, it will be. So one more thing on this. So so what we ran into this year and what we're going to be doing going forward is offering projections for folks. So a projection is something where you sit down in January or February with your CPA or you know you do a virtual sit down and you basically try to project what's my 2022 total income and what's my total federal tax and state tax as a result of that total income. And then you have the decision to either go ahead and make those payments if you owe anything or just wait until you file the tax return. So we're going to be doing a lot more of that in 2022, January and February 2022. And we're, we're going to be doing that because I think that it greatly enhances the client experience. But it also just eliminates surprises for folks. And that's like very key. But you got to understand, too. Your CPA has a lot of clients to deal with. This is a mutual relationship. You have to take ownership over your part of this relationship. And if you know that you have a lot of income or you have a different situation than you've had in years past, then my recommendation is to contact your CPA, contact your tax preparer, and get a projection done in January, February. It's okay if the projection's not 100% accurate. It's better to be like 80% accurate than 0% accurate. That's my my current belief system, at least. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is don't wait for your tax preparer or your advisor or your CPA to do this for you. Take ownership over the relationship, contact them and say, hey, I would like a projection run. It's probably going to cost you a few hundred bucks. But I think that that few hundred dollars is worth sleeping well at night, knowing that I'm not going to be surprised when I get this tax bill when my when my tax repair is done preparing my return in April or middle of summer or October. And if it is a large tax bill, it gives you time to plan on how to get liquidity, right? That's a problem with real estate investors. We, we reinvest every dollar that we have in real estate. It's illiquid. So it's really important to understand what my tax liability is going to be a few months in advance of, you know, judgment day, so to speak. Um, <laughs> Uh, assuming that I've, I'm making or not making estimated payments, I guess. But point is, you got to get that clarity. 
And once 2022 rolls, like once December 31st rolls, meaning now it's January 1st, 2022 income's locked in. You know, if you're doing your accounting well, dramatic pause. (laughs) If you're doing your accounting well, you should be able to project with 95 or so percent accuracy what your payments are in January. I ended up owing 32 bucks between Fed and state this year because I did this projection in January, but my accounting was tip top shape, right? So if your accounting is amazing, you can project this stuff out relatively easily. If your accounting's not amazing, you need to find somebody to do your accounting for you. It's that important. Hey, I wanted to remind you that we'll be running a special year-end edition of our popular TaxSmart Bootcamp in November, where we will be going in-depth on strategies such as the real estate professional status, the short-term rental loophole, how to optimize your tax position, special year-end strategies and considerations that we did not cover in this episode, and a whole lot more. Again, this bootcamp is designed to arm you with everything you need to know to maximize the tax benefits of investing in real estate before the end of 2022 and give you a head start as we move into 2023. It's the same great boot camp that over 500 other students have already taken to learn how to save five to six figures in taxes. But this one's going to have special year-end considerations and strategies that we've not included in any other boot camp or course we've ever done before. The investment is normally around $2,000. However, if you're listening to this podcast episode, you can register for the boot camp for only $797. That's over $1,200 off. All you need to do is head on over to bootcamp.taxsmartinvestors.com and use the code INSIDERS at checkout. Again, you can enroll today by heading over to bootcamp.taxsmartinvestors.com and using the code INSIDERS at checkout to get $1,200 off. But that's not all. Everybody who enrolls using the code INSIDERS will get recordings to our 2020 and 2021 Tax and Legal Summit, which contain over 30 sessions on how to reduce taxes and protect the wealth you worked so hard to build, plus four keynotes from well-known investors on how they built their business and how they can help you build yours. Seats will be limited, so be sure to lock in your spot today by heading over to bootcamp.taxsmartinvestors.com and using the code INSIDERS at checkout. That's all for today, and we'll catch you in the next episode of TaxSmart REI. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.